Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with someone who lived just three houses from one of SoCal's biggest debris basins, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? because your support enables us to serve more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. As summer turns to fall, the weather changes and the likelihood of rain increases. And even during a drought, a large storm can come and be devastating. What can make it much worse is the rain coming after a large fire, which we're seeing increase across the West. Today, we'll dig into those post-fire debris flows, as they're called, and how this geologic phenomenon is lesser known and just as deadly as many other geologic hazards. Let's start, though, by defining what is a debris flow. A debris flow is a particular type of landslide, one where the rocks and material on the Earth's surface are picked up by flowing water and carried over the surface of the land. The other type of landslide is called deep-seated landslides, They're deep-seated, meaning that their part of the hillside is broken off and carried down the hill along some deeper plain. So when a debris flow happens, it's flowing water, carrying lots of dirt and sand and carrying lots of bigger rocks. And the faster it's moving, the bigger the objects that it can carry. Think of completely brown water heading towards you, carrying boulders and, and rocks and trees and whatever it picks up along the way. So it's not like a muddy earth. It's not the pudding. It's really more like chocolate milk. Well, chocolate milk with whole Oreos in it, boulders that can crush your house, but the Oreo idea. Got it. So how did we start studying this type of phenomenon? And why is it more than just a landslide, right? How do we find that distinction? You know, like most earth hazard phenomena, we begin empirically. We see something happen and want to understand why. For debris flows, a very critical event was here in Southern California in the winter of 1933 to 1934. On Thanksgiving Day, 1933, a big fire went through the San Gabriel Mountains. On New Year's Eve into New Year's Day of 1934, 13 inches of rain fell in a 36-hour period. That rain landed on the fire burn. The hillside came down, swept into the communities of La Crescenta, Montrose, Glendale, and in fact, Over 100 people died in the Montrose City Hall, where they had evacuated two to get away from the floods. An unknown number of people, in addition, died up in the mountain canyons. You know, this was during the Depression with the Dust Bowl in the Midwest. There were a lot of people who had moved to California and were actually camping in the mountains. So they never got an accurate count of exactly how many people died. But what was critical to the geologist was actually somebody down at Caltech was seeing that all of the material that came out of the mountain originated from where the Thanksgiving Day fire had burnt the hillside. And I think that the idea there was that it was important that the debris was coming out of the mountains and into the city. It wasn't just going into a a canyon or a, a stream somewhere. 
Exactly. And you could also really say that it was the city moving into the mountains. You know, this was a time in Southern California history when resorts had been created along the mountain front and people were starting to move here and Midwesterners were having summer houses out here. And they didn't think of going up on the edge of the mountain as putting yourself at more risk from floods because everyone knew that flood risk was in the flats along the riverbanks. In fact, as we come to understand Southern California geology, being at the edge of the mountain is absolutely at greater risk. So what have scientists and experts learned in this past 90 years about these events? What's important for people to know? And to frame it a bit more precisely, what causes them to happen? How do we know that? Our instincts about landslides is water saturating everything and turning the mountain to mud and bringing down part of the hillside. But that gives us the wrong picture. The ones connected to fire are water moving over the surface and carrying the debris with it. And what the fire does is lay down a layer of what's called hydrophobic chemicals, chemicals that tend to repel the water. So we're actually reducing the absorption of the water, and that gives us more to run over the hillside. So to have them, you need lots of water moving over the surface, which means you need active rainfall. Once the rain stops or even slows down, the risk is going away. This had been developed over the years. The geologists started coming up with techniques to be able to say, what are the characteristics that make an area most susceptible to producing this? So in 2007, we got some funding specifically to look at hazards in Southern California. And we started to be able to have some people and some geologists who were working on these issues around the landslide. And then in the summer of 2009, we had the Station Fire, which is a huge event, covered about two thirds of the Angeles National Forest. And here we were, we finally had some resources, we had instruments, we could put them out. And we had a student who was able to go out and monitor them, fix them. And after the fire happened, we waited for the winter and for the rain that was going to come. We found several things. One was that you needed to have a pretty high rate of rainfall to really get the debris moving. Over two thirds of an inch per hour going on for at least 15 minutes. The longer it went, the farther you could carry things. I mean, that's sort of obvious. And when the rain slowed down, the water flow slowed down, the rocks would get dropped. So we actually saw a lot where they dislodge really big pieces of rock, but they would drop farther up in the canyons and not make it out to where the people were. How fast was this water moving? It's or debris flow, I should say. Right, the debris flow coming at you. We were seeing it at least 30 miles per hour while the rain was going on. And we got a lot of small stuff, a lot of mud coming down into the city. The really biggest rocks, it didn't rain hard enough for long enough to carry them all the way down the mountain. So with nearly 100 years of study and more recently in the last decade, real tangible evidence from the local area here in Southern California that could be applied to fire burns anywhere in the, in the U.S. or anywhere really, what's the big takeaway? I think the biggest thing that people who are directly facing it need to know is don't tough it out. That's a lot of our instinct. We want to protect our houses. We want to stay where we are. And in a lot of hazards, you really can. We don't know the earthquake's coming. You just take what you get. But by the time you can be sure that a debris flow is actually heading into your house, it's probably too late to get out. And when you have water and boulders moving through your house at 30 miles an hour, there's no way to protect yourself in that situation. So it's the one time that when they tell you to evacuate, go ahead and do it. As soon as the rain stops, it's going to be okay to go back. It seems like this is a hazard where we do have a good idea of what might happen and when, and that simple evacuation might save a life really quickly. You may not be able to move your house, but you'll be able to save your life. 
Whereas other hazards that we've talked about on this podcast, no warning, or even if there is warning, there's not much you can do about it. That's right. And you know, the U.S. Geological Survey now routinely issues maps that show after each fire, where is the likelihood of having the debris flows that's using the intensity of the burn, the slope of the rock, and then you need to also know the rate of rain coming in. And in some places, there's a partnership with the National Weather Service, where when they predict that the rainfall will exceed the level necessary to start triggering these debris flows, they actually issue real-time warnings. These are coming from the weather service itself. Worthwhile to get signed up for those notifications. There's a lot we've learned in this hundred years that we've been looking at debris flows, and I'm sure there'll be more that we learn about this and other geologic hazards. So until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>